Hey guys, how are we doing? It's Jawad here with the Apex Podcast. Hope everyone's well this week, staying safe, doing all the bits that they can in all this sort of uncertain times and everything. Um, still heaps and heaps of stuff going on all over the world. So, you know, my first thought always is with you guys. Hope everyone's doing okay. Bit of self-care and all that sort of thing. And then... All the racing, you know, we've had so much of it, I keep saying, over the last few months, and now it does kind of feel like it's slowing down. Um, we had those first nine F1 races, now we've had our 10th, um, and we're going to have some good breaks in between each of the races now before we get to the end of the year and um, see out what has been a very, very bad 2020, just in general with life and stuff and you know the big the big c word <laughs> that we all know about too so yeah you know um russian grand prix on the weekend probably not humdinger of a race but still plenty of talking points and narratives to take away from that which we're going to go over today had the supercars on as well the ben super sprint um last or the penultimate round for this year's championship so supercars already pretty much wrapping up or we'll go to the Bathurst 1000 in a few weeks and that'll be the last uh last event of the year and MotoGP as well um doing really well you know still very unpredictable what's going to happen this year but um starting off with Russia yeah well we kind of said it last week didn't we that the will the Netflix curse strike again and it did for for Lewis Hamilton so they were there documenting Lewis Hamilton over the weekend and Mercedes for the um chance that he had to break the uh or equal the record of Michael Schumacher's 91 wins and in the end it just it was a race that went from bad to worse for the reigning world champion so ended up copying a bunch of penalties and it was Valtteri Bottas who actually won the race, breaking his drought, going back to start of this season, actually, in Austria. So, important win for Bottas, got that confidence back, you would hope, too. Championship lead-wise, you know, it's still 44 points between the two, so it's not, you know, looking easier, but, you know, you can't mathematically rule it out. But um, going over with what happened with Hamilton, uh he was on pole, everything was looking rosy, uh, qualifying was a bit crazy as well for him, he barely scraped through into Q3, because uh, we had a red flag, Sebastian Vettel crashed, and basically he only had like 2 minutes and 15 seconds to go set a lap to get into Q3, he had to use the, the soft tyres too, which meant that he would be starting the race on the softs, um, and it was going to be interesting to see whether that would uh, compromise his strategy on Sunday, given that you had Max Verstappen and Bottas both on mediums, but um, as it turned out, it wasn't. The tyres were not the only problem for Hamilton come race day, so he was given a couple of penalties uh, for doing practice starts outside the designated zone, so Every time they rock up to a, a track, every and um, the race director hands out his event notes, um, and that's let me stress happens every time a race happens, start of the weekend. It always talks about you know where the designated area is for the drivers to do their practice starts. So you know usually it's at pit exit or at the end of the pit lane. Um, tracks like Austria, I think you can't even do it in pit lane or at pit exit so they let you form up on the grid um during the practice sessions so not not even pre-race you can't do that but hamilton well outside the designate designated zone and for that he was given two um five second penalties for a violation of the race director's event notes so before anyone starts jumping on the conspiracy bandwagon because there has been talk about that this entire week since the race and then also from Hamilton himself but he's gone and you know clarified uh all that on social media he made an insta post I think last night or something saying that you know he just you know we're all human we make mistakes and you know I I was wrong to go and question the the penalty because he was trying to say that oh you know the FIA are trying to stop me you know they're trying to make the racing interesting without me winning all the time so and that was rubbished by race director Michael Massey so yeah you know some we can criticize the stewards sometimes for making 
silly decisions, but in this instance, it was something that you know, if it was ri- it was written in the event notes, it's it's a rule, I guess Hamilton as well. It wasn't just the um, the violation of the event notes; it was also a breach of the sporting regs as well. So that's why there were two penalties that were handed down to him. So you know, the whole conspiracy thing, and it was it was a bit disappointing how it all panned out. You know, I know last week we were, were waxing lyrical about Hamilton and how you know he's this, you know, he's just transcended into this different um kind of zone and everything and you know totally different world champion to the ones that have come before him your other legends or whatever and then this conspiracy thing kind of kind of turns up and you know gets blown out of proportion so i'm glad we've got it um done and buried and we can move on from there too and hopefully look forward to the next race and he can do the the 91 wins as well um will be interesting because it'll be at the nurburgring so uh german grand prix or whatever it's called the eiffel grand prix this year and uh a venue that michael schumacher himself had good success at or a lot of success at i should say so yeah you know at the end what my conclusion from it is was the is was my conclusion from it was that yeah I guess the team as well made a mistake in the communication to their driver at that time um maybe Hamilton didn't read the event notes maybe he did and just forgot that's you know that's on them so um Stewards also after the race handed a further two penalty points to his uh super license too he was up to 10 after the Russian Grand Prix but ended up um, there was a backflip from the stewards and instead the the team copped a fine uh, that see I have a problem with if you know you're going to do if you're going to hand down a sanction like that don't backflip because backflipping on anything of course does show that you made the wrong decision or it's very uh, it's a very weak move so if you're going to do it stick by it and deal with the consequences but either way you know someone was going to lose in this instance and you know at least he doesn't have those uh extra penalty points on his license because i think if you get 12 in a calendar year uh you get a race ban so hamilton getting perilously close there to that race ban and you know you look at the year he's had this year i think there was a couple of infringements in austria one of them being the um incident with alex albon then you had uh, Monza as well with uh, pitting while the pit lane was closed so it's not been the cleanest year as far as penalties has been concerned for Lewis but I don't think it's something that you know we have to put our arms up and say they're all they're all out to get him you know it just shows that even the most consistent and cleanest drivers are not the cleanest all the time so perhaps just a refresher of the sporting regs and you know, all the other paperwork that comes through from the FIA over the race weekend would be ideal for the six-time world champion. So, yeah, you know, that's that's where I conclude on it. That's, you know, let's close this chapter and move on, hey? Um, so, yeah, you know, that's where that's where I sit on that. I just said that. Blech. Blech. And this is why I don't edit these things sometimes unless I really, you know, catastrophically make a mistake. I just, yeah, keep it rolling. So, you know, if you want to skip through this, skip through it, fine. Um, when the penalty was actually handed down, so even though we were all aware of this breach before the race had even started, I guess they the stewards couldn't really hand down a penalty straight away because the team were still in the pre-race stage. They couldn't really go and communicate with the FIA about this. So and present their case too so that would have happened just as the race started and it was by lap seven that we had those two times five second penalties given to lewis hamilton which he was able to then serve during his pit stop so he came in on lap 17 pitted for the hard tires like pretty much everyone else during the race but handed the lead over to his teammate bottas and bottas himself saying that you know he was compromised going into turn two so turn two has been a big bone of contention all weekend for everyone in Russia and I'm sure who those who watched 
uh, even just practice sessions and everything would have seen um, all sorts of trouble going on there. So, you know, turn turn one is basically this right, uh, the, yeah, right hand bend, which you can take full throttle, and then in the first heavy braking zone is turn two, and that's where there was a lot of problems. So for Valtteri, it wasn't any of the typical problem that was uh, <laughs> that caught him offside. It was uh, the fact that he had a B come and hit him on the helmet so lucky he didn't get stung stung by the bee but um there was a bee flying around and hit him on his visor so that would have put him off um when he was trying to make the run into turn two so you know that was i guess probably the most eventful thing that happened to valtteri all race because after the hamilton penalty and uh, bottas made his own pit stop uh, from medium to the hard tires he just controlled the race he was in um I'm not going to say vintage bottas, bottas form. I don't think he's quite old enough to to be vintage just yet. But um, he was in he was in good form. You know the form we saw from him. You know whenever he wins races, he's won multiple races now in Russia. Uh, he won one his first one back in seventeen. So you know it's a it's a circuit that always it's a circuit that always uh, he does well at. So you know good of him to walk away with a win there. Uh, Max Verstappen as well went on the same strategy, started on the mediums, finished on the hard tyres and ended up splitting the Mercedes again. I guess helped a little bit by the the uh, Hamilton penalty too, but you know Max ended up qualifying on the front row of the grid, so he did well to split them in qualifying, um, which would have left Valtteri with a bit of egg on his face, but at the end of the day, the points were on Sunday, so and Max as well getting... Um, himself ahead of one of the silver or black cars I should say which was uh, Hamilton in this instance and for Hamilton too you know after those penalties to only well to still finish third is is good so you know you had Checo Perez there doing solidly during the race you know possibility of Daniel Ricciardo in the Renault as well going to the podium because we all want to see that tattoo done for Cyril Abitable but um, Hamilton I guess the he made himself a buffer and was able to come out uh, behind the other Mercedes and Red Bull so not a bad race for him even though the win didn't come off but um, he still got some handy points and as I said 44 points between the two black cars at the moment uh, Mercedes cars and Verstappen getting a little bit further behind after those two dnfs that he had the last two races and that's your top three basically <laughs> and not much usually happens with the top three during during a race if it's those three they've been on the podium pretty much every single race together this year apart from a couple of course where we've seen mclarens and we had albon last time out and uh, pierre gasly obviously when he won too but um you know verstappen as well good for him after his two dnfs to come back and finish on the podium just again you know they red bull don't have that race pace to match the mercedes or to try and get ahead of one you know by using the other car as a as a dummy in the in terms of the pit stops or the strategies and undercutting and all so i don't think that's a big deal or whatever but because they've still got to focus on race pace and everything but it would help if they had that other car there to support him and we'll talk about Albon in a moment or two but looking at the rest of the race first lap we had a safety car out as we do sometimes in Russia it was a crash there for Carlos Sainz into the wall near the turn two rejoin area so the way turn two was profiled the right hander going into the um I think it's a triple apex left hander for turn three um you can't just run off the road and rejoin there's a um what do you call it They've installed some bollards that you've got to drive around and science, I guess, just couldn't break or whatever and didn't hit the bollard. He hit the wall, actually. So that was his race done. You had Lance Stroll tagged by Charles Leclerc as well, just a bit further up too. So there was two cars that were not, let's say, destroyed, but they were wrecked on the track that they had to get rid of. And Stroll, again, two races in a row where he's ended up uh, not finishing so there's another driver that fell afoul of turn two. Daniel Ricciardo as well 
having such a great race, ended up getting a five-second penalty uh, when Renault were trying to swap positions between he and teammate Esteban Ocon. Ricardo kind of just locked up and had to use the runoff a little bit, but you know didn't go through the bollards. So anytime a driver goes into the turn two runoff, they have to go through the bollards to rejoin the track, even though Ricardo didn't actually go too far into the runoff, he was, you know, he had all four uh, all four wheels off and actually went over one of the curbs to get back on the track, so that's, uh, that automatically triggered a penalty f- from the stewards, he still ended up finishing ahead, you know, and he didn't really complain about it either, he uh, kind of apologised for his mistake and said, you know, I'm going to go get it, basically, so he drove then one of those insane races at the end there to make sure he had more than five seconds up his sleeve over Leclerc, who was behind him. So Charles Leclerc running in the points and ended up in P6, which was a good result for him and Ferrari, especially on another weekend where Vettel was just anonymous. He had the crash in qualifying, uh, then basically just hung around outside the points like a bad smell and was not doing anything to really impress and Leclerc too was a bit anonymous I guess throughout the race but still accumulated some points so which just looks terrible for Ferrari at the moment especially when you've got the likes of McLaren, Racing Point, Renault who are ahead of him in the Constructors Championship and Ferrari only able to have one car consistently score points and for Ocon, his race was, you know, the first half of it was really good. Second half of it was really sucky. So that's why Renault had to switch the positions, get Dan back ahead. But then Ocon did a good job to hold on to eighth, oh, sorry, to seventh, um, ahead of Danny Fiat, who was really having a good day. He was uh, looking set for some good points, you know, and he did end up, end up finishing in P8, but just couldn't get himself past Esteban Ocon, which um, would have sucked for him, One, you know, finishing 7th instead of 8 would have been great on home soil, but uh, Alpha Tauri keeping up that good record of scoring points, and um, Pierre Gasly as well ended up ninth, even though he kind of prematurely reacted to that virtual safety car later on in the race where Grosjean destroyed those bollards at turn two and they had to put out the virtual safety car to be able to put some new ones down it was very brief so he came in the pits had to change tires but still finished and ended up finishing in the points which was a good result for for them to have both cars there but um yeah you know Ocon really I guess there was all this hype about Ocon um, coming into the year and, you know, Ricardo's done so much better, you got to say, and looks more likely to get that podium than Ocon, but I wouldn't write him off just yet, you know, there's he's, he was on Mercedes books, obviously, he wouldn't be on their books if it wasn't for a good reason and the talent and everything that he's got, so I think we just got to wait and see, but, um, you know, thinking about the future next year with Fernando Alonso, that that could be a career killer, possibly, with, with Fernando Alonso there. So, Or imagine if Ocon does really well and Alonso has a pretty pretty bad year. You know how the the dummy will be spat and the uh, toys thrown out of the cot, as we do see with, with Nando sometimes. But um, as for the present, <laughs> no time like the present. Uh, Ocon, I guess, just needs to step it up a little bit sitting 12th in the championship too and when you look at where Ricardo is six places further up than him I think they're gonna Renault are gonna appreciate if uh, Ocon kind of is in right behind his teammate or finishing ahead of him because you know Ricardo is obviously the one making way uh, next year and Ocon's the one who's going to be hanging around and whether he's going to be hanging around in the future will all depend on how he does so yeah, that that's that's that. <laughs> Going back to Checo though, getting P4 and just the whole narrative about Perez at the moment is so depressing to read. Just how even as far as the car is concerned at Racing Point now, he's not getting certain upgrades or he's being shut out of meetings and stuff like that, you know, because he's not going to be at the team next year and it's like you really want to make this acrimonious, do you? 
really, Mr. Stroll, um, Stroll Senior, you know, you, you're really going to do this, and then he comes out, Checo, and gets fourth, you know, fourth, especially after Stroll Jr. had another crash, double DNF uh, in two races for, for him, but also the reason Checo, or the reason that Team Principal Altmaier Safnau said that um, he didn't get the upgrades this weekend, this is Perez I'm talking about, was the fact that the upgrades that they did run on Stroll's car last weekend, um, because the car was destroyed uh, in Mugello, they didn't have upgrades or enough ready for both cars for Russia, you know, that was designated for Perez this weekend, it's gone, and instead they had to give it to Stroll because he destroyed the other one, so it's just like, great, but then, you know, Perez come out and get the result, he's been the more consistent driver, you could say, and if it wasn't for those two races that he had to miss because he tested positive for COVID, I think um, Perez would be sitting higher than ninth in the championship, um, Stroll is only a position ahead of him, and what, what, how many points, you know, one point separate them, so you know, it's those two DNFs that Stroll's had, basically, that has put him back on level foot with Checo, who had to miss two races, but that wasn't his fault that he got COVID, so there you go, whereas, you know, Stroll, I don't know what happened, you know, he got tagged by Leclerc, probably in the wrong place at the wrong time in Russia, uh, what happened in Mugello, that was a bit of a freak accident, getting on the curb and just losing it, but again, you know, it's just, um, am I bitter about racing points decision? A little bit. I, I, my my respect for the team has certainly, you know, come down. And as much as I adore Aston Martin, the brand, as much as I'm all for Sebastian Vettel representing that brand, the team have kind of just not made themselves very popular with this decision that they've made. But anyway, we'll leave it at that. It's not going to be a uh, a little moan session for me about the Stroll family or whatever. So we'll move on from that straight away. And um, Racing Point, one of their competitors in the Constructors' Championship, didn't score points over the weekend. This was McLaren, sadly. And it was looking like Lando Norris was going to get a couple of points or a point at the end there. He ran 46 laps on the hard tyres, which was most of anybody, but had to pit again because he just started falling away and um, didn't really have time at the end of the race on those uh, new set of tyres to come back and finish anywhere bar P15. And then, of course, Science, as I said earlier, crashed out. So that was two cars out of the race for McLaren. It's been a bit bit up and down for them but they've still got that uh third place in the constructors championship they're holding on to it by just two points now over racing point but i still think you know once they get their results you know they start stringing the results together that they're going to be the more consistent team i think they've got the better combination at the moment between their two drivers over racing point and even renault i guess because their consistency started to come online now, but I think this is where you've got to say to Ocon that, you know, you've got to be up there too, buddy, because, you know, this is how the Constructors' Championship is won, or in these guys' case, you know, they win the Formula 1.5 Constructors' Championship. So, um, Renault as well, yeah, only seven points now behind McLaren, so that gap has really tightened up, and then a little bit further behind, about 2023 points is is Ferrari so they've got a bit to go to catch up but I think yeah third this year will definitely be either one of those three and I'll really be impressed in myself if it ends up being McLaren because that's what I predicted uh, ahead of the Austrian Grand Prix when we finally got an indication of how bad Ferrari were going to be and everything I said yeah McLaren will be the kings of the midfield again this year I didn't think it would be for third in the constructors championship I said it was fourth but we've automatically just changed to third now because um, of Ferrari not being up there so that's um, that's those guys that's the midfield I said I was going to mention Albon and I will now he had another tough day and I guess after the highs of uh, Magello and the podium, I guess it all came back down to earth for him. Uh, gearbox penalty coming into the race uh, happened after qualifying, and on a, as a side note, Nicholas Latifi ended up with 1 2, and he finished P10 in the end, scored a point, 
got a penalty as well, five seconds for uh, the track limits there at turn two and not going through the bollard. But he had enough of a gap over the 11th placed driver to not have to warrant the penalty. So that was a good good little jagger points or one point there for Albon. But again, I guess the critics are going to start coming out and be like, oh, he's, you know, not backing up Max and everything, you know. It's just, well, he's had to start outside the points anyway with the penalty so not a good um not a good start there for him but anyway you know such is formula one you know you always have these kind of narratives and and storylines and whinging from people so i thought i as well i'd end our talk about russia the, the grand prix there um about you know the whole turn two thing and would I like to see turn two reprofiled like many of the drivers are talking about. If it comes to it, yeah, I would. You know, if it was up to me, I would like to see gravel back at all the circuits, but I know that that's not possible for safety reasons. And also, Ross Braun talked about it as well the other day, saying that, you know, it's such a disruption when, you know, a car goes off and then, you know, spits gravel onto the, onto the, back onto the track, I should say. And then, you know, you've got to neutralize the race for the marshals to clean that up. It's just, you know, safety-wise, it's not good. But the thing is, without something physically there to stop the drivers abusing track limits, they're just going to go as far as they can. So, you know, if we could put lava pits there, that would be great. And then I'm sure they wouldn't um, dare go anywhere near the, the limits of the track. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So perhaps then, yeah, reprofiling that turn two would be the best case scenario. Or if you had it my way, I wouldn't even have a race in Russia. There we go. But, um, you know, I'm not the one sitting on the board or anything like that, so I don't get to make those decisions. And speaking of sitting on boards and everything, so when I, I was talk, you know, talking about Stefano Domenicali last week and uh, him being talked about as being Chase Carey's successor, well, that got confirmed, actually, not too long after we recorded, as, as all things do. So congratulations there to Mr. Domenicali. I think it's a great appointment, as I did say before. I don't feel too concerned about the whole Ferrari thing either. I think, you know, he's gone off and done his own thing, you know, with Lamborghini, with Audi, um, and also working on the single-seater commission enough to not um, let the Ferrari thing come and bias him. And I think just for the sport, it's going to be good. You know, it was great having Chase Carey and his team, Sean Bratches and co, do their bit to get, F1 onto the right track and the, the Concord agreement and everything but with Stefano you feel like you've got a real racer now running the running the show and um, some people making a good point too that with someone like Stefano I think you know we don't have to worry about all the, the gimmicks that they're talking about about reverse grid qualifying races and such so I feel that you know that's going to be really good and he's going to have everyone's best interest at heart and hopefully him being too I guess chill about a lot of things is not going to bite them back in the butt um i guess to his good cop you've got braun who could be the bad cop as well so you know i think you've got a really solid leadership uh team there at formula one now and hopefully yeah when next year jean todd steps down as the president and they do the election you know we get a strong fia president come out of it too you know i've said for a long time it'd be nice to get someone um a bit younger as well in uh, whether that's going to happen, I guess, because of lack of experience and that sort of stuff um, remains to be seen. But it would be nice to see someone who will is a lot younger, uh, a bit more youthful, which, you know, pretty much the same thing, but, you know, be a bit more diversity-focused and um, sustainability-focused. I know Todd in recent years has uh, pushed more for sustainability, obviously, with the success of Formula E. But, yeah, if someone who can continue that and really push it for the next generation because I, like most, you know, environmentally conscious people and motorsport uh, and being a motorsport fan too, I absolutely hate it when someone tries to tell you, oh, motor racing is bad for the environment, you know, it's uh, this and that. And it's like, well, actually, yes, it is or it was, but they're at least doing something about it now. You know, they're making that transition. And, you know, Formula E confirmed, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, that they're completely 
carbon net carbon zero which means that all the like we talked about it when f1 wanted to go down the same path said that you know basically all the emissions that they produce get um what's the word i'm looking for so they they cover the cost of their own yeah i don't know how to explain it i'm having a bit of a brain fade today but basically their carbon footprint is zip now formula e the championship itself so and that's what formula one wants to do too as early as 2025 between then and 2030 so that's the thing that we've got to start raising awareness for so if someone does want to say to you oh car racing is dumb it's not you know uh environmentally friendly you know it's like actually no you've got an all-electric um world championship now for single seaters that is completely carbon neutral you got formula one who you know let's be fair there's still people living in you know um some bygone era with rose tinted glasses that think oh the v12s are better bring them back it's like yeah no thanks sorry as good as they were for the for the wow factor it's like that's not the future the future is hybrid and possibly electric going down you know 20 30 years in the future so the more focus and awareness that we can raise around that i think we can change the image of motor racing as well it i guess you know you've got to see other categories do it too where you know i know there's resistance in that sort of thing um for certain categories but it's going to be really important that we we do that and we as fans you know we as reporters writers whatever you are a content creator um person who who consumes and watches motor racing and wants to make a difference with this sort of stuff needs to be able to confidently say to people around them whenever it comes up in a conversation or you hear someone talk about it hey look you know that's not right you need to do a bit of research and um figure out that yeah that's not what's happening at the moment they're very different to how it was even 10 years ago five years ago as well you know ever since we had a change in ownership with the uh with the commercial rights holder for formula one so i'm really liking where everything is headed at the moment so i would like to see more of that um if possible from the next fia president and there we go i brought it back to what i was actually talking about and didn't forget and while we're still on f1 why not talk about this we've got some formula two stars from this year going to make their fp1 debuts in upcoming races so it's all the ferrari junior drivers including mick schumacher who's leading the f2 championship at the moment you've got callum ilo as well um ilo highlot however you say it um they're going to make their debuts at the nurburgring so uh i think schumacher will be in the alfa romeo ilot will get into the Haas to replace Roman Grosjean and then Robert Schwartzman as well who um, I think is teammate to Mick Schumacher at Prima this year he'll get in the car at the Abu Dhabi race later on in the year but they haven't confirmed which team he'll be with so it'll be one of the Ferrari power teams of course and they will be doing some um, tests in one of the old Ferrari cars at Fiorano as well during the week so really good reward for those guys you know Ferrari with a solid you know batch of junior drivers at the moment and i think as well after years where you felt that ferrari really neglected their young drivers their junior drivers that now because of charles leclerc we're seeing you know them shift that focus and bringing in carlos science as well for next year is really exciting so you know you've got guys like i lot um waiting in the wings you've got mick schumacher of course who you know there's going to be a lot of hype around him i think if he does make his debut next year and i think it's more a matter of um when that's going to be announced rather than if because it's more likely he's going to win formula two this year which will mean he's got to graduate out of that for next year he can't stay in formula two so i don't think he'll want to sit on the sidelines as a reserve driver for next year you know i think that does hurt their chances when they can't do any racing and ferrari i guess don't have a lot of programs around the world where you can just drop them in and let them do that you know like i know honda and stuff they get people to go do super formula and all that sort of stuff in japan so you know apart from gt racing i don't think um there's much that uh schumacher could do if he had to sit on the sidelines for a year so i would 
So yeah, given the form that we've seen from him, and it's all it's all about the form, you know. At start of the year, he was making too many mistakes. He was so inconsistent, and I was like, if he's just going to be like this, there's no point for him to go to F1. You know, you're just putting him in there because of the name, because of the hype, because of the attention. But this next part of the season, he has been absolutely stellar. He's got a healthy lead in the championship, and. I can totally see him in an Alfa Romeo car next year as a result of his performances that we've seen this year. So on that basis, yeah, let's say that um, time is right for him to go to the next step next year. But, you know, if he ends up having a poor into the season, I think they've got two couple of rounds to go, uh, Bahrain and Abu Dhabi or whatever, um, it should be fine. Speaking of crazy, I just, you know... Had to pause there for a little bit, had a had an important phone call, so, you know, just work and stuff, things changing at the drop of the hat at the moment, so everything's good, had a, had a sip of water, and let's get back into it. And it's um, supercars time, and it's so much supercars, I don't think we've ever had this much uh, supercar racing in the small block of time that we've had at the moment. Um, it's been... Every year I kind of complain, oh, you know, there's so many big gaps in between racing and it just takes away from the um, the consistency or, um, not consistency, sorry, just the frequency of seeing it every, um, every so often. But this year it's been different. We've had races back-to-back weekends. We had the four... Uh, weekends in a row which was quite epic as well and now we have our 2020 supercars champion and it's Scott McLaughlin he's done the triple he outscored win cup over the weekend with two wins and a second across the three races he swept all three pole positions too which takes his season tally up to 15 so yeah you know this is a driver that I I've got to say in my current top five drivers well, top five current drivers that are active at the moment, he's got to be up there because he's just a guy who, and I'm sure I'm going to do a, a piece on him later in the year after Bathurst as well, when he's uh, set to go off to IndyCar, make his debut there with Penske in, in St. Petersburg. But he's just a guy who, no matter what car he's driven, he's done well. No matter what circumstances he's had, he's done well. You know, you could say that, oh, you know, it's he's with the best team, he's had the best car, all that sort of stuff. But no, I don't think it's been like that at all. He's just had to make things work for him. And three titles, I guess, you know, in a row, last person to do that, obviously, was Win Cup 2 back from, I think, 2012 to 2014. He did that. So, you know, Scotty's just in that same breed of those awesome champions like a Jamie Wincup, Mark Scaife, Craig Lowndes and all that. So, Peter Brock as well. So, just hats off, hats off to Scotty, like, let's have a look at how he went over the weekend, so the first race on Saturday, he ended up holding off um, Shane Van Gisbergen for the win, he inherited the win in um, race 29 from his teammate Fabian Coulthard, unfortunately, Fab's had a driveline failure, he had the better start, you know, and was leading the early part of the race, and then ended up being crueled for the win, so Scotty ended up picking up the pieces in that one, and then in race... um, 30, I should say, he ended up finishing second, did Scotty behind Cameron Waters, who, you know, again, another impressive driver this year, who, eight podiums he's had, you know, he's P3 in the standings at the moment, and he's really taken this year to solidify his leadership, you got to say, within the Tickford team, uh, you know, for years we had Mark Winterbottom there, Chaz Mostert as well, now they're both gone, who was going to be the leader in that team, and it's Cameron Waters, which is good to see, and he's still very young too, 26 I think, um, might be a month or two older than him, who knows, but uh, you know, he's really stepped up and took his first solo win too, so you remember back to when he won his first race it feels like a long time ago, 2017, and he won at Sandown with Richie Stanaway, you know, and it's been that long since he's actually won a race um, on his own, so it's such an important result for him, and he's been consistent as well across the this back part of the season, you know, he's qualified 
in the top three all weekend for for this round at the bend. He finished third and third in the first two races before his win. And as I talked about last week and have been, you know, kind of hinting at in, in my articles, the talking points and everything, that I reckon he's going to be that dark horse for Bathurst this year. You know, I know it's never going to be the person that you put on paper and say, you know, you could probably put five or six combinations down as being, you know, those... Um, favourites to do it but there's just something in the air about Tickford and also him being partnered with Will Davison as well and Davison being a, th- a two-time winner of that event um, I could totally see Wilbur getting a third one especially after being dropped this year because of his team the 23 Red Racing having to withdraw um, due to the impact of the pandemic so I think you know they're going to be those leaders heading into Bathurst and they've been quick all year no matter what track we've gone on so um yeah going to be really really exciting to see how that rolls out and just in general um it's the 30th of October sorry 30th of September which means um October starts and when October starts you know that that's um Bathurst time and we look forward to Bathurst uh a bit later than it is normally, but, you know, we're still going to have it in this awesome month, and it's, yeah, the final race two of the year, and I'm glad that the championship as well has already been decided, because it's going to allow Scott McLaughlin to go out there and, you know, go for the win, you know, his team want redemption from last year, it was controversial what happened, they know as well that, you know, they want a clean conscience about it too, so I think winning it fair and square this year is going to kind of put that all to rest, but also Red Bull Holden Racing Team, they've been so inconsistent this year, I came into the year thinking that this is going to be their year because of all the things happening off the track that was working in their favor with the the parity changes to bring the commodore in line with the mustang or vice versa you know switch to single springs um or the control shock absorbers and all that sort of stuff as well um and they don't lie down you know for more than you know for two years in a row so how is how are they going to get beaten for three years in a row, you know, but the results were on the weekend just a reflection of the year that they've had. So, Win Cup for the first race, qualified 14th, finished in 10th, had a penalty in race 29, well, not a, a, a sporting penalty, but a, a team points penalty and also a fine because he ran over the air hose in his pit stop uh, which was unsafe because the um, rattle gun was ripped out of the hands of the mechanic but you know I guess the penalty for him during the race was that he lost a lot of time um, as a result of a bungled pit stop ended up getting a bad result and at the end of the weekend he finished in third but I guess it was moot overall as far as the championship because it was already over so for them as well I think you know Bathurst is going to be let's go all out, you know, we're just trying to win this, you know, win something this year that can um, kind of cover up for the hurt for the championship and that's the one that the teams usually go for and the drivers usually go for if they're not able to get the championship. So I think the title being decided now is going to make Bathurst all the more exciting. You know, how do you not think that a pairing like Jamie Wincup and Craig Lowndes is not going to be in contention every year and then you look at the other side of the Triple Eight garage too, Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander, two of the hardest, meanest races out there too and you look at Shane's record, he's finished second on a couple of occasions uh, in the 1000, Tander's a former race winner so you know he's got a lot to also prove you know he should still be a full-time driver Tander, I, I really like Tander but um you know, the circumstances, I guess, prevented that back a, a couple of years ago now. So, you know, it's just going to make for all the more excitement at the mountain and we cannot wait. And also Ford have won the manufacturer title as well. So 16 wins for the season. That's how they decide the manufacturer's title in supercars and a big blow to hold. And you got to say, because um, it's their last year as a manufacturer team. So they'll want to go out with a bang, win Bathurst and get that trophy at least. And if not, then I guess it'll be a bit of a damp squib as uh, for their finale and for their last year as <coughs> final year. Ugh. 
stone coughing and sputtering and all that. Not COVID, by the way. I've got to say that every time. It's probably all the allergens and rubbish going on in the air too, um, pollution, all that sort of stuff. But um, for Holden, yeah, it'd be a bit of blow to bow out of supercars and Australian touring cars without uh, taking the top gong, um, which is second to the championship, which and which is Bathurst, I've got to say, far out. Um, so... Yeah, can't wait, and I'll probably do a like a, a comprehensive comprehensive preview when it comes to Bathurst, and get all excited, hype it up, and make sure you know we're we're here on the day, and we have a good day too, because I usually make a weekend of it. <laughs> Alrighty, let's get into the the end of this episode now. Um, talk about MotoGP because I wanted to give it a bit more air this week. Normally, I just kind of tack it on at the end of the podcast and you know make a quick few notes and everything but given that we had the big announcement over the weekend that um or confirmation i should say of valentino rossi signing on for the patronus yamaha srt team for next year it's a 2021 deal only he'll be partnered with franco morbidelli obviously frankie one of his um vr46 academy riders so i like that dynamic already of master and apprentice together in the same team and for valentino i guess you know it just the weekend was a it was a bit of a crappy weekend because he fell out of the race he crashed out two races in a row you don't see the doctor usually do that and he himself kind of conceded that his title hopes might be over now after that but you know it's good that we get to see him go around another year i just you know not seeing him finish on the podium does hurt a little bit still and you feel like I think he, we just need to see some more form and it's not I don't think it's a lack of him trying I think just the bike is not really there yet and you know for for Yamaha like they've they're, they're being beaten at the moment this year by their um by their satellite team so even though the factory Yamaha team got a win with Vinales last time out in in Misano it's um you know another win for, for Fabio Quattararo there so he's won all three of the Spanish races so far so we're at the Catalan Grand Prix if I didn't mention that earlier uh, the Barcelona circuit that we use for F1 too so Quattararo won that one and interestingly enough when you were going over when I was going over the notes and everything and looking into the career of Rossi you know he was the last rider or the only rider I think or maybe just the last rider to have won a championship on a satellite bike which he did back in 2001 on a um on a customer Honda so Fabio I think this year definitely in the box seat now given the uh recent retirements of um other riders so Let's have a look. Andre Davizioso as well crashed out. He got hit by Johan Zarco at the start of the race. So, you know, that crash kind of reminded me of how Davizioso got taken out by Jorge Lorenzo a few years ago too, which was another divisive um, or, yeah, very decisive or divisive moment. I don't know which... I just... The words are not really coming to me today. Anyway, it was a very... um, important moment in that year's championship challenge for Dovi too so he's kind of dropped behind a little bit now too so he's on 84 points Quattararo's on 20 not 20 108 so suddenly I can't I don't know how to say words I can't read what's going on (laughs) 108 points for Quattararo 84 for Dovi back in P4 um Vinales just I don't know what's going on with Maverick at the moment it's he was on pole position he's looking great but then in the race he just he just disappears it's almost like he he feels intimidated or he just loses all confidence and can't ride the bike so he finished down in p9 which you know at least he scored points and he didn't crash out of the race or retire so he's still uh, within grasp of the championship leader so 18 points between him and Quattararo at the front but you know Suzuki Juan Mir second at the moment in the championship with only eight points between him and Fabio who would have thought that you know especially with Alex Rins being you know the lead rider at Suzuki but Rins having um, an injury and missing some races as well um, or not missing races but he just wasn't fully fit and everything but um, good for Suzuki that they got both bikes on the podium for the first time since they actually came back into the sport and that's three in a row too for me so you know 
Is there a win coming around for the young Spaniard? Who knows? Uh, Franco Morbidelli, he was upset to finish fourth in the race too, so he would have been on for a podium. But, um, you know, he's still up there as well in the championship uh, in fifth, so... I think a bit further behind, maybe like 30, 31 points behind, I think. And it's just so topsy-turvy this season. But going back to Rossi, I love the guy. I adore the guy. Everyone knows who knows me knows that I adore Valentino Rossi. And you'll see me wearing my yellow my yellow cap with a VR46 on it. You know, that's my Twitter handle, Dr46, which is a... um play on both Doctor Who and and Valentino Rossi the Doctor so if it's just going to be him making up the numbers next year then it's going to be very depressing but if we can get some genuine results out of this this will be great and as I said I don't think it's for a lack of him putting in the effort I think there's just Yamaha at the moment still haven't got that rhythm that they need they're not that consistent team and none of the teams have been consistent this year and I think as much as people want to say that, oh, without Mark Marquez there, you know, it's just basically opened it up for everyone and, you know, it's not a true indication of how they would perform against Marquez. I think Marquez not being there has also shown how inconsistent still the other teams are, that they can't string together results. If he was still there this year, Marquez and fit, you know, the championship would already be over by now. But the fact that, you know, we've got this open championship and there's more pressure on the teams that, okay, we've actually got the opportunity to, to win now, but they're still making mistakes, is a lot more telling. So when Marquez does come back, you know, if it's going to be last race of this year in, in Portugal or <coughs> or whether he'll be fresh for 2021, I don't think there's any other team that's ready to consistently challenge him because of how up and down this has been. So... And for his own Honda team too, look at where they are this year. You know, you've got Taka Nakagami on the customer Honda for Lucio Cecinello, who is the lead Honda rider this year, and he still doesn't even have the up-to-date machinery either, which, you know, I'm sure he'll hassle them to, to get that uh, for next year. But, yeah, you know, where where are they, you got to say? So it's going to be interesting how this all pans out and you know three weeks again in a row that they've done it's it's a lot easier i guess or you see it more often in moto gp them doing triple headers than you do in f1 so i guess that's why it's a bit foreign but i'm glad that they've got a break this week and then before heading to to Le Mans, i think next week and then some more spanish races i think you've got back-to-backs at aragon back-to-backs at valencia and then um finishing up at uh at the Port of Mao circuit in Portugal, which, you know, get to see it in both F1 this year and in MotoGP, how exciting. Uh, so, yeah, you know, happy that we get to see Rossi for another year. And I think also, personally, I hope that we have a Grand Prix FLA Bailen next year too, and we get, fans can go. So, if it's going to be the last time we get to see Rossi ride here in Australia, I want to be there. I want to see him. I want to take as many photos as I can and make a real um, real special moment to remember just to, to be able to see him on track for the final time at Phillip Island where he has won many races, as you know. So, yeah. Anyway, I think that kind of wraps it up. I'm, I'm kind of glad this weekend we got a break from all, all racing. So no supercars, no MotoGP, no F1. Um, can focus on some home time, you know, spend some quality time with, uh, with loved ones and whatever. So, um, yeah, all I can say, guys, hang in there. Take it easy. Chins up. You need... I'm here for a shout uh, on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media. So reach out and everything... And we'll be back next week to to preview the Eiffel Grand Prix and maybe talk more news and try to actually know or learn how to read again. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Have a good one and um, catch you next time.